dude, why you gotta question shit? It it works fine. And it's like, if he's in search of an objective truth, he's not gonna find it anywhere in anything that a human has built. The, yeah. the way that our minds work just doesn't line up with that. And he seems to have clocked that. But the way he talked about it was just by making everyone feel like an idiot all the time. Because he was like, well, actually, um, actually, there's no such thing as objective truth. So that thing you just said is stupid and wrong. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, the opposite of that. And he's like, aha, but you see, that thing is also stupid and wrong. And it's like, god damn it, Socrates. Fucking yeah. learn to read the room. It's the search for first principles, but you can't actually get to the first principles. So you just end up with no principles. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I have hot chocolate today. No nice. coffee needed. I uh, I just got some some orange Gatorade. They uh, they did not have lemon, so I got orange. And honestly, not too mad about it. Uh, oh, but good, before we get before we get into our, our, our drink orders for the day, uh, we got to take a second and talk about the sponsor of today's episode, which <gasps> is World Anvil. Oh. Uh, if you've been around on the channel for a while, you know that uh, us and World Anvil have been buddy buddy for a, a fair few years now. Mm. Uh, we're very excited to have them sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar, World Anvil is a browser-based world-building, writing, and game mastering software designed to help you, whether you are the player, the GM, or the writer, uh, take all the beautiful ideas in your head, organize them in one place, and then translate that into either the game of your dreams, the story of your dreams, or the, the playing experience uh, of your dreams, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. suppose. The improv communal storytelling experience yeah. of your dreams. It, Put that and, on a uh, resume and tell your boss you've been playing D&D. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even besides D&D, they've got uh, over 45 supported game systems and the ability to create your own, so any GM can play, plan, and present their adventures and campaigns no matter what set of tech you're working on. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the meat of the episode, but uh, they've got 25, uh, more than 25, article templates, interactive maps, custom timelines, adaptable wikis, and all kinds of other niche crazy cool stuff uh, to get into the nitty-gritty of your world and keep everything from the table in one easy place because, good God, sometimes stories can spell out, can't they? Mm. Uh, whether that's NPCs, players' adventures, uh, upcoming encounters, magic items, or whatever else you got cooking up in there, uh, you can put it all down there and um, help craft either the perfect long-running campaign or one crisp, finely-tuned adventure. Uh, and if you are interested in that, uh, it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount to all of our listeners. Just use code Overly Sarcastic, same one you've seen before on the channel, uh, for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Yeah. It's always fun, you know, to, to talk about these guys and... We, we, we've not done any sponsors in the pod before, but uh, we wanted to work with a group of people that we've enjoyed working with personally for many years now. So if we're gonna if we're gonna have sponsors on, you know, we should have it be a, a product that we like, uh, enjoy, good people. Couldn't uh, have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> I'm so good at this. <laughs> uh, now, I uh, where do we go from here? Oh, the, the world is our oyster. Do we just get into the videos or do we start uh, spitballing more? Red, uh, take us away. What do you want to do? Uh, well, mm, maybe that's an unwise decision considering. <laughs> no, I trust you implicitly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, on the subject of over 45 TTRPG systems... Um, <laughs> We, uh, the, the video that we're recording is quite early by podcast standards, uh, and the, We're going to VidCon next week. We're gonna we're, be busy. <laughs> we're gonna be busy. So we are recording this about an hour and a half after this video has gone up. Um, and that video in question is a detailed diatribe about various TTRPG systems that aren't D&D, why they're cool, and, uh, what that, what groups of players they might appeal to, uh, that was, uh, not presented by me or by Blue, but no. by, uh, our first guest detailed diatribe presenter, my sister, uh, who I decided to unleash on uh, our unsuspecting asses for this one, and it went really well. It was super fun. She pulled together like a 71-frame slideshow and just absolutely went to town. It was wildly uh, impressive. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'd been uh, entertaining the possibility of having her on a detail that I tried for a few months now, although this subject matter was a little bit uh, of a newer decision initially i was like hey do you want to talk about like the sonic idw comics and she was like hell yeah but then i was like hey i've got a better idea <laughs> how about we do this um so 
yeah, you know, it's always just fun to to wind up the little ADHD goblin and turn it loose on the exact <laughs> thing that it loves. Uh, and by ADHD goblin, I'm referring to the ADHD goblin that lives in one's brain and not actually my sister, who has more to her than just being an ADHD goblin. Um, <laughs> It was very funny getting, like, periodic text updates from you. Like, she's crossed the, like, such-and-such such slides threshold. <laughs> she's adding an entire section on this. <laughs> it's uh, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and even then, I didn't know the whole story when, when she started presenting it. She was like, I put in landmines. I was like, oh, good, she put in landmines. It's <laughs> um, so the one thing that you tell diatribes were missing <laughs> was the threat of danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, we, we had a great time um, recording that, getting just letting the education waft over us for about two and a half yeah. hours. Of and she's a natural that. at it, too, which was yeah. really something to witness. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, she I, I knew she'd be good at it, but it's it's always fun to just sort of sit back and let the master just go to town. Um, so, yeah, we, we learned a lot about a lot of very interesting TTRPGs and and their various I, strengths. I could tell that she was going to nail it when you were alarmed <laughs> by the way that she was laying out the course of the presentation. <laughs> I think you yeah. can actually hear it in my voice. I'm like, oh, no, this is great. No, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled. <laughs> it's like that thing where, like, the season one bad guy is like, this threat is unlike anything we've ever faced. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. oh, no. Um yeah, yeah, so so we had a good time. Always always fun to raise awareness for mm -hmm. game systems that aren't under the overwhelming conglomerate monopoly of D&D, &D, which as fun as it is, it's always good to remember that it's not Run the all and all for how yeah, for yeah. TTRPGs. There are more board games than chess, there are more tabletop RPGs than D&D. &D. Yep. I, I do think it was really cool that it went far beyond the scope of like Oh yeah, you know, don't play D and D. Mm. Play like Pathfinder and Exalted. It's like those are great. Like those are basically like at its core, it's it's the same fundamental game underneath it. For sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I really like, like the 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 variety that she brought in the discussion of like here are some games of like completely like the GM rotates. Yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Bleak Spirits was the one where we were both like, oh yeah. shit. Oh, yeah. wow. Like, yeah. um, and, you know, there's more of a discussion of that in the actual video, which I do recommend you watch if you haven't checked it out mm -hmm. already. Um, but, man, uh, the the premise of, like, everyone is kind of the GM. All of them are taking notes on what they think is happening. None of them are allowed to share those notes with each other. It's just yeah. buck wild. It's an incredibly effective way to um, make the make the world feel, like, bleak and horrific, but also, like, incomprehensible but there are parts of it that make sense threads of logic that you can follow without ever finding out the whole story and kind of spoiling the romance of you know you yeah. x horrifying unknown eldritch nightmare apocalypse you know <laughs> the the one true pairing of our dreams i got enough sleep last night i have no excuse for why i'm like this today <laughs> uh... Are you possessed by uh, an ADHD gremlin? <laughs> Always, but maybe the coffee isn't keeping it in check anymore. <laughs> uh, I knew it was a mistake to not caffeinate today. Nah, anyway. nah, it's fine. Nah, it's probably um, I, I'm, I'm trying to play back through the entirety of the, the two-hour detail diatribe <laughs> uh, to, to think about what I wanted to, to bring up. It was really like Bleak Spirits was the game where it's like, oh, no, this one rules. That's mm -hmm. exactly our shit. And it's the kind of thing that I never would have thought of if I was oh. like, what kind of game would I like to play? I never would have thought that's even an option. Yeah. So the uh, the the breadth of, of Magenta's presentation and like, here's all kinds of different stuff. And if you... I think she said somewhere, like, if one of these games seems appealing, you can look up games like blank and mm -hmm. then, you know, specify more like what you want. Where It's like, OK, you know, I like Bleak Spirits, but I, I want there to be more of like a little bit of a combat edge to it. Or I want um, a little uh, different flavor text to it than like the world is screwed. But I like that idea of the communal RP GMing kind of thing. You can find those things once you know these little anchor points and once you have a sense of of like oh i want to follow through on that thread as opposed to like if all you've ever played is D, &D <laughs> you get a lot of boss baby vibes from all the other <laughs> games and you don't really know what a, a a piece of film can look like that's just outside of the boss baby cinematic universe <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's kind of the problem you run into in any art form where there's just one work of art that's defined the vast majority of it um 
because then by its nature, people compare everything else to this foundational pillar of the field when in Boss practice. Baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows the finest cinematic masterpiece ever created. Uh, the, the measuring stick against which all other films are gauged. Um, <laughs> you get into it, you seem all right. That one hurts. That one hurts. Because that hits me where it hurts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, the TTRPG space is just huge. You know, there are a ton of different ways to to sit a bunch of friends around a table and play a game uh, of RP, as it were. That's kind of the only thing that defines what exactly a tabletop role playing game is. Not even dice are required in every mm-hmm. paradigm. Um, and I think there's been a little bit more uh, awareness of this recently, uh, as you know, when Watsy keeps putting their fucking foot in it, people keep finding new things to look into uh, and sort of broadening their horizons a little bit and a a better understanding of the space of TTRPGs is starting to form. But a lot of people are still like, but D&D is so comfy. Why would I want to leave D&D? It's like, you don't need to leave D&D. D&D is still there. Um, Unless it gets paywall to hell and back. But (laughs) D&D is still there, so it's fine. And, you know, there's... A lot of the discussion in the video was basically like, these games are good at different things. Um, and if you like the specific things that D&D is good at, then that's great. That's fine. Here's a bunch of other stuff if you want to do more mech combat. Or if you want to do more, like, TTRPGs where the rules are actually about the, the social engagements and the, the complex political machinations and stuff, rather than that just exists in the formless RP zone outside of the structure of the rules. Um, and it was just really fun, you know, to sit yeah. back for a couple hours and just get educated. It was it was a good time. I, I learned a lot. I'm excited to try it a couple of the games that I uh, that I, I learned existed uh, in the course of that presentation. So uh, fantastic uh, uh, debut detail diatribe uh, mm-hmm. by Magenta. And yes. I saw a couple of comments like, "Oh my God, her hair on the little chibi is even poofier <laughs> than Red's. How is this possible?" Yeah. So <laughs> uh, what what she lacks in length, she makes up for in volume. Yeah. And when I was watching, I was like, oh, wait, where's the chibi? And then it was like, poof, haha. I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> Surprise, twist. Like Korok appearing, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But no, that, that was great. Uh, really, really fun uh, video there. Mm-hmm. Um, and but winding back a week. Yes, winding back a week and 2,000 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a, a History Makers <laughs> on Plato that I got the idea for, like, last year I was, I was reading a platonic dialogue for for fun i fuck man i i don't know uh i was reading the youth of and i'm like wait this is really good hold on i can i can work with this uh so i i like took some rudimentary notes and then put it on the shelf for like a year uh and then got back to it i'm like oh wait no this laughs this is good plato's actually really great hold on i i I can i can do something with this and then i i had to kind of turn it into a a balance of like the socrates and the plato and unpacking where one ends and the other begins and i got to have that fun little little intro sequence where I really highlight how much of a gremlin Socrates was. Like, Diogenes is obviously the meme, because he was just belligerent in everything. But Socrates is, like, a genuinely well-meaning, like, wanted to just try and learn, but everyone's like, oh, God, I fucking hate you, man. Um, I liked you photoshopping his uh, little chibi head into the various crater vases. Yeah, you can't, he's he's there, he's (laughs) hiding. always there. Um, I I had a lot of fun with those. It was, like, the first visual I made. I'm like, red, look. I was like, cyan, look. Um, Yeah, Uh, I, I did find it funny. A few comments are like, oh, yeah, and Plato's, Name actually means broad, as you know, given name was Aristocles, it was actually his wrestling name. I'm like, yeah, because I made that joke in my Greek Wise Guys <laughs> video two years ago, and I just didn't want to retread the same ground. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't cite the deep magic. <laughs> Average yeah. Athenian has five arguments a day, actually, statistical error. <laughs> Socrates George, who has 10,000 arguments a day and cannot be stopped, yes. is an outlier. <laughs> God, yeah. And, and some people did point out, though, which I didn't mention, was uh, in the 500-man jury, the vote to convict him was, like, 320 to, like, 180 or something. And, or no, it was, like, it was like 280 to, to 220 or, like, some, like, very close number. What but in the then, electoral college is that? Yeah. Uh, but, so it was, like, a, a margin of, like, 40 people or, or something, you know, determined whether or not he was guilty. And then after they proposed the punishments, and Socrates is like, I should get meals for life and be put up in, like, the, the civic palace up on the hill. And the Athenians are like, 
Okay, so the vote to sentence him to death was a larger margin, which means that he managed to piss off even the people who thought he was innocent. They're like, okay, you know what? Fuck this guy. Oh my god! <laughs> like there were like thirty or forty principled Athenians who were like, look, I mean, he's a he's a menace, but he did not break the laws that he was accused of, and he's like, I deserve to be paid for by the state and taken care of. And they're like, all right, you know what? <laughs> Since I've got you here, <laughs> the funny thing is when when you said that. Initially, I assumed that it was him being cute about how he wanted to be in prison for life. Like, put up by the state, paid for meals, like that's... Oh, no, no, it wasn't a prison joke. He was saying, like, you should treat me like a king. I know, but I think it would have been (laughs) funny if they were like, certainly, we can do that. Here (laughs) is your palace, my liege, locks the doors. Like, it would have been easy. But no, they were like, let's just poison him, whatever. It's like the way that they have to lead him in is a string of, like susceptible to argumentation looking people standing on the road making observations so he meets the first guy has an argument with him takes two steps gets lured into the second guy ooh a person to argue with ooh a person to argue with and the last guy is in his cell and they slam the door that poor guy the ultimate sacrifice (laughs) to put Socrates away forever yeah and then even in the credo where it's like hey Socrates like I bribed the guard to get here We've been visiting you all month long, bribing the guards to get in here. They'll let you go if you go. And he's like, no, I would never dare. Fuck oh, you. Socrates. <laughs> like, yeah. principled, sure. Hilariously annoying, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a dumbass. Sources vary. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... I... Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll disagree on principle with the comments that were saying, like, oh, he's like an ancient Athenian Ben Shapiro. And the, the reason that's not true is because Socrates does not have a disingenuous bone in his body, whereas Ben Shapiro's a snake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the comparison to, like, modern provocateurs is really misleading because the idea of, you know, being a provocateur in the modern online sense is, like, you say something controversial to get attention. Socrates didn't want attention. He wanted to try and understand. He wanted to learn. Yeah. And he knew he was being annoying, but he didn't do it, like, for clout. So the, the comparison is is kind of cheeky and fun to make, but I'll, I'll like, as, like, an academic point, I'll push back on, on that one. But all the other comments were having a lot of fun with it yeah. uh, in very, very academically responsible ways. Um, I think the fact that Socrates does seem to have genuinely just kind of recognized that the entire civilization he lived in was built on pretense after pretense and and he kept looking for the single kernel of truth, like actual objective truth Mm -hmm. somewhere in civilization and found it nowhere. So like when he's asking, like, what is the nature of gods? What is our obligation to be moral and good? It's like, dude, why you got to question shit? It, It works fine. And it's like. If he's in search of an objective truth, he's not going to find it anywhere in anything that a human has built. The, yeah. the way that our minds work just doesn't line up with that. And he seems to have clocked that. But the way he talked about it was just by making everyone feel like an idiot all the time. Because he was like, well, actually, um, actually, there's no such thing as objective truth. So that thing you just said is stupid and wrong. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, the opposite of that. And he's like, aha, but you see, that thing is also stupid and wrong. And it's like... God damn it, Socrates. Fucking yeah. learn to read the room. <laughs> it's the search for first principles, but you can't actually get to the first principles, so you just end up with no principles. <laughs> Which is a, a little bit of, like, where the, the, the Plato-ness of it kind of takes over, where you see, like, this idea of Platonic philosophy of, like, forms and ideas and, like, fundamental mathematical truths at the heart of, mm-hmm. you know, the existence of the world that Socrates didn't give a shit about math. Uh, but Plato <laughs> is like, oh, like, this is my jam. I can understand so many things through this. There's that Pythagorean influence which really mm-hmm. comes in later in his writings you see it a lot in the uh the fido dialogue where that idea of like the immortal soul is based on like well math can't die so our souls can't either mm. and it, it's more complicated than that but <laughs> i want to like, see it... the proof by induction for that one <laughs> um <laughs> at what point the... does a mathematical equation become the human soul how many variables <laughs> do we need to add <laughs> Uh, the uh, indomitable spirit of humanity, proof by induction. <laughs> if one is an indomitable spirit, and if n is an indomitable spirit, then n plus one is an indomitable spirit, and therefore, <laughs> souls immortal? Question mark. QED dipshits. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I I really did enjoy getting to the the point in the video at the end where it's like the the thing that makes Plato so compelling is like obviously Socrates is a fantastic character to use as like a philosophical muse for for the investigations but the the dialogue format is such a 
potent way to convey ideas. And a few people pointed out, like, hey, Galileo wrote dialogues. Mm. A little trickier for physics than for philosophy because yeah. you, you need does some have graphs. Like, you need some visual aids in that process. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple other uh, modern philosophers who tried their hand at it. Descartes had one, I think, and there might have been a few others. I think Hume, maybe. Um, but it really did not catch on. Uh, certainly not, you know, like 30 dialogues deep like Plato was. Mm. Um, there's a uh, there's a Chinese philosopher um, whose name I forget uh, who wrote dialogues that actually your dad pointed me towards, which was really helpful because I was giving you. The, uh, yeah, your dad was like, oh, oh you yeah, should yeah, yeah. Uh, Blue should check out such and such philosopher. I'm like, oh, oh shit, yeah, let nice. me just check our texts real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I the dialogue format is just so fun and it's like genuinely it, it, it is more involved and participatory than just regularly reading a treatise that it makes for a better experience um as a teaching tool in addition to just like as a purely reading thing so yeah chuang said a really cool philosopher um there are other people who have done these kinds of things but it's so fleetingly rare uh which is unfortunate so i i hope to bring some some uh attention to the idea of the dialogue as a as a philosophically instructive uh, format because we are, are truly quite lucky to have so much of, of Plato and obviously some of them are, are more winners than other we're more winners than others uh, we're lucky to have the whole lot of it but also we can tell like okay you know some of these are like really really good and some of these are like okay yeah you know it's fine um, but a uh, very strong uh, preservation effort by um, Islamic scholars uh, from like the 600s to the like 10, 1200s um, went a long way to preserving that because Plato uh, and to a lesser extent Aristotle um, were huge in that kind of space of like Abrahamic Islamic uh, philosophy, theology. So there's a lot of really cool stuff uh, yeah. in there. Um, and the the actual like philosophical legacy of, of Platonism in uh, the Abrahamic canon is is quite immense, um, oh not without controversy, uh, but it's it's really interesting just to see how much this one guy arrived at ideas that so many other people for thousands of years are like, oh yeah, no, I'm 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 with that. That slaps, yeah, because it's <laughs> it's just like first principlesy enough that you can kind of apply it to a lot of different philosophies and have it fit. So it's like, yeah, we can like change a couple letters and turn this into God and it actually ends up working all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, oh, man. I, I, I was really happy with how that one turned out. Um, that went into the uh, best of blues videos playlist uh, really? because I was uh, quite pleased with uh, the response and the, the process of making it was, was quite fun. It was it was fighting me at a couple stages uh, to to be finished, but um, I was very uh, happy to be able to like really get into like this is my shit. I studied philosophy in college. Yeah, <laughs> I am on this. So yeah, it was yeah. a it was a good time. Yeah, but, um, no, it was. Uh, you could really feel the enthusiasm too, just yeah. like how much this was your jam. But um, yeah. yeah. So, that about covers our uh, videos for the last couple weeks. So yeah. good time. Yeah. Shall we move on to the mid-roll? Let's do it. Let's do it. Today's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast is brought to you by World Anvil. World Anvil is a browser-based world-building, writing, and game-mastering software designed to help you, the GM, plan and world-build, all while keeping your adventures organized and in one place. With over 45 supported game systems and the capability to create your own, World Anvil provides solutions for GMs to play, plan, and present their adventures and campaigns. World Anvil features over 25 article templates, interactive maps, custom timelines, fully adaptable wikis, and any other tools you need to organize the story from the table in one convenient place. Keep track of your players' adventures, key NPCs, plan upcoming encounters, create magic items, and plenty more. With the Chronicles feature, you can combine the beautiful organizational power of timelines and maps to plot events across time and space. Perfect for a long-running TTRPG campaign or one finely tuned adventure. Interested? Of course you are! And it only gets better because World Anvil is offering a special discount for all you lovely listeners. Just use code OverlySarcastic for up to 40% off any yearly membership. Thank you again to World Anvil for sponsoring today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic podcast where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. Normally, our first question is from one of our lovely patrons, but because this is the 70th episode of the podcast, and therefore one of the multiples of five, uh, we're going to be doing the lightning round, our one and only recurring bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
in this section, we are going to take some of the suggestions from you lovely listeners, um, asking if we've watched, read, seen, heard of, etc. different properties of media. Some authors got mixed in there. All sorts of fun stuff that we just don't have time to individually address otherwise. And we're going to rapid fire be going through and saying if we've seen, watched, heard of it, etc. Uh, quickly and briefly. <laughs> mm, sure. Uh, uh, modifiers I don't think we have ever once actually stuck to by the end of the lightning round. No, never. You're all welcome. Mm-hmm. But without further ado, let's get to our first property here. Uh, Heartstopper. Uh, Heard of it. And I, yeah, no. it sounds familiar, but no. Yeah. Um, Warrior Cats. <laughs> no. I was a child of the early 2000s, I recall. I saw those books, never read them. Have a couple friends really? that were big into them. I mean this yeah. only as a compliment, but you do have big I read Warrior Cats energy. <laughs> How is that meant as a compliment? I also read Warrior Cats. Okay, yeah, I see it. No, I get it. Uh, no, uh, I just never picked them up. Uh, I was a fan of other animals have their own secret world stories. Uh, it's never got into Warrior Cats. <laughs> there uh, were a lot of those books, too. There were. Yeah. yeah. I think I only I, uh, read the first two, like, because they came in sets of five. I think I read, like, the first two sets, sets of, five, of five, and then I sort of yeah. fell off. It's also it's the same way, by, like, the Percy seven Jackson. people. Yeah, it's together. one of those, Izzy's, like, book packaging uh, ones where it's got, like, it's one name, but it's a bunch of different authors under that name, mm. kind of like how the Magic yeah. Treehouse were. Um, mm. Magic Treehouse wasn't one guy? No, no very much childhood. not. <laughs> <laughs> I only read, like, three of those books. Yeah, you know uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories? Arthur, Conan, and Doyle, three different guys. Don't. People are going to believe you. Planes. She would believe it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, Planescape Torment. No. Oh, familiar, but no. No, I want to say that that's TTRPG related, but maybe that's just It is being... absolutely TTRPG yeah. related, yeah. but I don't know what it is. Uh, Discworld. Yes, all of it, most of it. Do it. It's good. <laughs> read Guards, Guards, and then just keep going. I tried to read the first, the exact first book, The Color of Magic. I got about, It's not that I didn't like it. I just got halfway through, and I just kept not picking it up anymore after that's that that's why you should read guards guards so i've been told uh-huh because uh, we've been friends for years that's why you've been told between you and dominic noble i really do get um the disc world stuff from both sides uh hades town yeah uh i actually saw it on broadway it's really good um hmm. i have not in the between acts thing when orpheus is traveling to the underworld at the end of act uh, one Eurydice is in the underworld and Orpheus goes to rescue her and at the beginning of act two Orpheus runs up through the audience um, and climbs on stage and is like Eurydice I'm back uh, and I swear I feel so bad because when I like I saw movement and I literally said out loud oh fuck as the guy sprinted past me towards the stage so sorry it's <laughs> uh, got good music uh, that guy was in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark that makes sense you're still going strong uh, Shadow and Bone. Oh, Netflix show or the books? It doesn't say. Either. Neither, uh, <laughs> for my case. Haven't read the books, but I have watched uh, about three quarters of the show. Um, hmm. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, Genshin Impact. No. No. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, Undertale slash Deltarune. Um, watched a know the few playthroughs of it, but yeah. didn't play it myself. No, haven't played it. Christopher Titus. I don't Comedian? know what that is. It's no. a yeah. No. Uh, Terraria, the game. I know when about it. When it first came out, mm -hmm. uh, and it was still being called 2D Minecraft, 2D Minecraft because no one else had made like Minecraft clones yet. Oh, uh, but there's so much more stuff to it now, and I have not touched it in in like a decade. <laughs> <laughs> Never played it. Uh, it was my little brother's go-to game for a while growing up. Uh, mm -hmm. Script Welder, the game dev known for Deep Sleep and Don't Escape. Um, no, sorry. Sounds cool, though. Slug Terra. No? But wait, <laughs> I've, I've heard that name before. I just have no idea what it is. <laughs> I want to say that it's like a cartoon, but um, Hold on. don't quote me on that, because I also feel like this is vaguely Canadian familiar. animated television series. Mm, Stormhawks energy? It looks... Hold on. It might, it yes, might be a it, yeah, it, big <laughs> show that gives Stormhawks energy. Oh, no. It's like the slightly polished version of the mm. exact same animation rig. That explains Wow, it. yeah. That's, that explains why it's stuck in my that, brain. I've never seen it, but I suspect I saw the image for it on Netflix or something. They appear to have point. guns that shoot slugs. Makes sense. Oh. Does uh, it? <laughs> chaotic. Game slash TV show. Uh, no. No, sorry. 
Warhammer Horus Heresy. Oh, I mean, tangentially, in my Warhammer 40k days, I think I had the source book for the Horus Heresy TTRPG. Um, not a fun world to put your brain in, really. So, not no, my highest imagine. recommendation. <laughs> Uh, also, by the numbers, it just doesn't work out that you would ever be able to play a Psyker because 10,000 of them are sacrificed every day to preserve the Emperor on the Golden Throne. And that means, and it's also like incredibly rare to be born a Psyker anyway. So if you do get born, you are absolutely getting scooped up and put in the mulcher. Sorry, gang. <laughs> the math just don't add up. Uh, the Dune Saga. Uh, first book, yes. Movie also. No. But uh, didn't, didn't read Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. God Emperor of Dune. My uncle's favorite joke is to continue listing Dune books, but start peppering in books from the later Wizard of Oz series. <laughs> Patchwork Girl of Dune. TikTok of Dune. Uh, uh, there's a really funny Daniel Green skit about how weird the later Dune books get. It's, mm, it's good. <laughs> before or after you get the slug uh, centaur emperor of mankind. It, the joke ends with Paul fucking the sandworm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's for you, Blue. Discourses on Livy? Livy? Livy, yeah. Yes. No, it's it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of Machiavelli's books, yeah. Uh, it's basically, it's the, the inverse The Prince, where The Prince is like, wow, having a, a, a monarchy is awesome. And then Discourses on Livy is like, actually, Roman Republic kind of slaps. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop myself. But yes, I have read it. Yes, it's good. <laughs> good job. Uh, we got time for one more here. Um, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Oh, man. Yeah, I watched it once. Uh, long before Joss Whedon's fall from grace. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> haven't revisited it in the last, like, decade. Yeah. Probably hasn't held up very well, if I had to guess. I have Can one or two what... songs from it that I think might still be the depths of my, like, musical and show songs playlist on Spotify. But, like, that's a real holdover from the mid-2000s, yeah. similar mm -hmm. to Red. I think maybe I watched it once and then it's just haven't touched it in 10 years. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. It doesn't have a ton of rewatch value. No. <laughs> All right. Good work, team. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we are going into our regularly scheduled Q&A portion of the podcast now with a first question coming from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the channel, support the podcast, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Speed Racer Fan 1701. Uh, oh. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's not my alt accounts. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, to all, what fictional game would you want turned into a real game? For example, how Gwent from The Witcher and the Light Cycle game from Tron uh, are actually playable. So what's a game that appeared in like a movie or a book or something that you think would be cool if it existed in the real world? Hmm. Hmm. The problem is, a lot of those have been turned into real games, and yeah. most of the real games aren't as fun as they are in the original. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh! the card game is a fucking mess. Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh! as yeah. it exists in the universe of Yu-Gi-Oh!, Hell yeah. Yeah. I do think that there is something to be said for the like multi-layer, multi-dimensional chess from like the Star Trek games where it is just oh. sort of chess, but you have more boards. I like, Conceptually, I think that's very funny. Well, and I'm sure that someone that is... has made that a real thing at some point, but like. They oh yeah, there are tons of them. Isn't Kirk um, supposed to be weirdly good at it? I feel like that's a running game. He's gag. weirdly good at anything they decide to throw at. It's true. Yeah. It's really funny to me that people think of the two, Kirk is the jock and Picard is the nerd. Whereas, no, no. This, Kirk that cheated Patrick so he could Stewart. pass the unpassable exam, and Picard got into a bar fight that ended when he got stabbed in the heart, and he considers this a minor event in his <laughs> overall life. Um, isn't there uh there like tack from that Patrick Rothfuss book, um, Name of the Wind or something? I think that does exist. It is. It's good. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I played the game. I don't really know what book it's from, oh but it's good. Sign and I played it. It's actually quite fun. Hmm. Ah. They made uh, the game Thud from Discworld book Thud into a real board game, and it is also good. Nice. Uh, I know exactly what my answer to this question is. Um, oh, yeah. I want Cones of Dunshire from Parks and Rec to be a real game. And I, I think there is a Kickstarter or something that was making it into a real game, but I have not seen it. <laughs> I want what the hat. Is... <laughs> what? I don't know, man. <laughs> Redless is not engaged. Okay, all right. It's, I'm sure it's fine. It's a the hat bit is probably from the very show cool. where Adam Scott's character, when he's uh, in between jobs for part of a season, goes like completely off the rails and start makes like a stop motion movie. And as part of this, also creates his own board game that's kind of Settlers of Catan esque, called The Cones of Dunshire, and it's sort of a running wow. gag. And in a later season, they go to this like tech HQ, and all the and they're getting you know 
shown out the door when they see some of the staff playing the cones of dunshire and in order to like get free wi-fi for their town uh Adam Scott's character goes in, plays the game, and wins because he's the architect of it all after all, and that's how he earns their respect. But it's it's like an overly complicated, it's kind of in the same vein as the new girl's like true American bit, where like no one ever really tells you all the rules to this game. It's just sort of like you just see them playing it occasionally. Uh, That's sort of the realm it's working in. Oh man, I I miss New Girl. That was such a good show. (laughs) What about the hologram chess thingy from Star Wars? Yeah, they've made that. Yeah, that's. Of course they have. Yeah. But the hologram version of it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No holograms. Get on it, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Every once in a while, I'm like, what would an OSP board game be? And then I think about it for two minutes, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really know. And yeah, then six trivia. months later, I'm like, oh, you know, what would an OSP board game be like? And then it just, it, it never, it's a cycle. Because we never have any ideas for it. We're just no. like, what would it be? And the it's answer just is like, <laughs> trivia pursuit stole? with incredibly specific categories. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh I'm glad that Um Actually is a real game now. I wanted to get out of the Kickstarter production zone so I can buy it. (laughs) Um, Well, this next question comes from Brainship to Red. I get the distinct impression that you are not a fan of the BBC Sherlock. What Sherlock Holmes adaptations do you like and what do they do better? I put this one in here because last night uh, Red texted our group chat with a picture of a... uh, Hat that I got a Sherlock received. Holmes deer stalker hat for my birthday, and it yeah. slaps. So I was like, unfortunately, now we have to do some kind of stream where I get to wear this hat. Um, <laughs> so you'll just have to trust me; it looks great. Um, oh man, the different adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. There are so many. My yes. go-to fave is the high octane action Guy Ritchie movies. They're, they're really fun. good. They're quite. They're shockingly good. It's an, an incredibly interesting portrayal of Sherlock Holmes. The way he was always meant to be characterized riddled with ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was a shame because, like, when the movies came out, they were kind of, like, the inferior RDJ property between that and Iron Man. Yeah. And then, like, Marvel did its whole, like, crazy thing. But the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies, the Guy Ritchie ones, like, remained so pure and yeah. really, really good. <laughs> and this is a really niche thing for me to like about those movies. But the first one especially, the entire emotional core of the movie is that Watson is getting married and Holmes cannot emotionally process that Mm -hmm. and no matter how you read the relationship between watson and holmes and there are many ways to read it but i as an ace personally quite like that you can absolutely read it as just like sherlock holmes has one person in his life who matters to him and that's watson and he doesn't really know how to handle that watson is going to have another person who matters to him that much um and the fact that Watson is also clearly feeling this and is not happy about how Holmes is not happy. I think that that is an incredibly interesting emotional arc for them to play out through the movie. And it becomes very clear that they both care about each other but are having trouble communicating that past this thing where ultimately Watson has a priority that Holmes does not. And I just think that's a really cool thing yeah. for them to explore mm-hmm. that never really gets brought up in the books because Watson having a wife kind of just, it feels like something Doyle forgot he wrote and then <laughs> forgot he didn't have and you know what it's fine Mm -hmm. those stories don't need to hold together the way that people think they do sometimes but um but that part i really like about the first movie and the portrayal of holmes overall is really good the idea that his inability to switch off his constant analysis of the world is kind of why he doesn't go out very much i just thought that was a really fun portrayal of him also the action scenes are excellent yeah um they all love uh, discombobulate (laughs) yeah discombobulate fucking slaps everybody loves that one um it's just so fun. And also, it's one of the only portrayals of Watson that, like, owns up to the fact that he's a fucking badass and a war hero yeah. and, like, really handsome and cool. I just think it's fun. Um, <laughs> but it, there's another adaptation that does something similar in a completely different way. I've been watching a little Elementary. Uh, I love Elementary. <laughs> I love Elementary, too. It's an incredibly think... consistent show for something yeah. that ran for five seasons. Like, there's never a point where it gets worse demonstrably. That's quite impressive. I yeah. think the only downside uh, I have to it is that the crimes are really basic stuff. Uh, yeah. It's It's... It's a police procedural. The crimes are simple. You don't really Mm -hmm. get the adaptation of classic Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Uh, So it's just we've got a modern Holmes and a modern Watson, and they are solving normal crimes. Modern Watson, played by Lucy Liu. Oh, Um, my God. There is a plot point. First of all, she's incredible in it. She's killing the role. But also there is a plot later on where they're like, Watson has to be able to defend herself. And I'm like, (laughs) you don't need to convince me that Lucy Liu needs to learn martial arts. That's Charlie's fucking angel right there. (laughs) It's it's so funny whenever they have to do that. You know, you always need at least one person in the cast who knows how to absolutely go to town on a motherfucker and can teach the rest of the cast. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense for that character to be already able to do that. I mean, she was a surgeon, for God's sake. She needs her hands for other stuff. It makes sense. 
Um, but yeah, so so overall fave, the ones that I can just revisit whenever, and they're mm-hmm. always good. Those are the Guy Ritchie movies. Elementary, I've been having fun working my yeah. way through, slowly. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's other adaptations that I've seen. I've seen some of the older, like Basil Rathbone, mm. um, like mm. Pearl of Death, yeah. uh, mostly because in H Bomber Guy's video, Sherlock is garbage and here's why, one of my comfort watches nowadays, uh, <laughs> he brings up the Basil Rathbone. I think it's Rathbone. Um, it is, yeah. The, yeah, the early black and white. Because in The Great Mouse Detective, they do make some <laughs> well, jokes. Yes. I know Basil Rathbone has played Sherlock Holmes. I just wasn't sure Rathbone. if that was the older adaptation we were discussing. Um, but yeah, it's just got such fun energy. Holmes is so snarky, but in a really polite way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple points in the uh, older adaptations where, like, um, the one I'm thinking of wasn't Rathbone because this one wasn't in black and white, but there was an older adaptation where like Holmes is bored and the first thing Watson does when he comes in is like check the the like uh, drawer of syringes to make sure Holmes hasn't been fucking shooting up and is like okay Holmes what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like this is the only characterization for Sherlock Holmes that I like because when people make him too good at too many things, it ignores the fact that Holmes is terrible at taking care of himself <laughs> yeah. and emotional regulation in general, mm-hmm. and that's canon. Um, yeah. I was really like yeah, a lot I, of like international interpretations of Sherlock Holmes too. Like my personal favorites mm-hmm. are probably the Detective D movies, which are I want to say Hong Kong, but maybe mainland China. But uh, Chinese adaptations of not really adaptations because they're their own stories, but the character is clearly intended to be a Holmes alike. Uh, uh, he's kind yeah. of got like a ride along Watson type going on, and they're just really Classic. they're fun martial arts movies that yeah. just happen to be about solving a mystery. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, but yeah, but yeah. That, but, that about covers that. I know there's other versions, but those are the ones that stick in my head. It's a you fun... mean Herlock Sholmes from the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles? I was, in fact, thinking of <laughs> Herlock Sholmes. <laughs> and his Watson, who is just a kid for some reason. Mm. But this next question comes from Cute As Buttons. Two, Red and Blue. You guys have talked about being ace, and fun fact, since Red has talked about how she was so open about her sexuality online uh, because she wanted other people to know that being ace was an option, I'm one of those people. I was looking around at the time and had just stumbled upon OSP and went, oh, neat, that sounds like me, when Red talked about it. So, firstly, thank you, Red. Secondly, my question is this. What is your guys' favorite thing about being ace? Ooh. Hmm. I like how... Hmm. There's a few things. I, I, I don't know how to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound weirdly judgmental. I like how clear it makes a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I, I like how... Because a lot of people will be like, oh, the writing in this relationship just isn't working for me for some reason. I just don't understand why it's not compelling. And it's like, it's because there is no relationship there. They met each other and they started making out. They don't actually like anything about each other. And if you don't find the, oh, they're hot and they're making out with each other appealing, it's very easy to see, like, these characters have absolutely no chemistry. One of them barely has a personality. It just, it doesn't work like that. Or like, what are they trying to advertise here? Get the half-naked lady out of the way. I'm trying to see the car. Like, that sort of thing. it makes certain things clearer because a large portion of how things are advertised and framed in storytelling and just, you know, the world in large is basically invisible when it just doesn't register to you. Um, so that's that's the thing that I like about it. It makes a lot of storytelling. Like, if I want to write a romance between two characters, it's kind of a pain in the ass. But once I get it, I'm like, yeah, I can just make it so that these ter- two start liking things about each other. And it's like, but at what point do they kiss? What do you mean kiss? Why would they need to? I can make them kiss, but I don't have to because everyone already knows they're in love. Um, so makes my job a little bit easier at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you, Blue? I, uh, well, the immediate joke answer was like, no mess. Gross. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's not just me today. <laughs> <laughs> I was keeping that in my head, not letting that get through the filters while I searched for a better answer and then I didn't find one in time. Uh, uh, God, no. Um, I mean, I once I figured out the, the way that I perceive, like, beauty in the world is is almost kind of uniform. And the idea of, like, aesthetic attraction is that I can find... Uh, you know, natural landscapes, architecture, artworks, people, beautiful in a similar way. And that it's like, I would like to behold this beauty. 
and not feel any weird obligation about it where it's like, oh, wow, that's a that's a pretty person on the street. I'd like to give him a little, little smooch on the cheek. No, it's like, I, I, oh, that's a pretty person. Great. And I can move on with my life. Yeah, sentence um, over. It's, it, it is weirdly liberating um, in that... Uh, in that, and a good question. In in what? Um, but... I think there is a sense of liberation because we grew up under this assumption that like there was going to be a way that our lives were going to go, and it never appealed to us. But there was never any indication that it wasn't uh, mandatory. And I think when we realized, like, oh, hold on, no, actually, like, um, obviously, of the two of us, you are married, and I am not, yeah. uh, and I'm not in a relationship because for me, as soon as I figured out, like, oh, I'm this, I was like, great, I don't need to keep dating people. This rules. <laughs> uh, I don't need anyone in my fucking house. It's awesome. Like, but you know, everyone's everyone's needs are different. But like, figuring out, oh, if I don't want to do this, I don't have to do this. Like, it feels obvious, but if you grow up, and absolutely everybody you know has this thing or has done this thing or thinks that you're going to do this thing like this is a thing that being ace has in common with a lot of other queer identities where it's like if you are growing up gay and everyone in the world is like you've got to be straight it's the only option nothing else makes sense then you're going to be like then what the fuck is going i guess everybody must feel a uh, vague disinterest to disgust in their chosen life partner that makes sense and it's like no if you're not <laughs> digging it if you're not enthused don't do it <laughs> Yeah. You don't have to. It's like once you break that first mental chain, all the other ones are like, yeah. yeah, and then it's like, oh, wait, I can actually yeah. do what I want. So it's not that's not a thing that's inherent to being ace, but it is inherent to figuring out mm-hmm. your identity, the, the sort of liberation of giving yourself permission to live as you want uh, rather than feeling stuck in something that you were taught was universal. Uh, so that's just, that's just kind of the universal joy of figuring out who you are and then doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I also like how it's made me feel very upfront about just being like open with my friends about how they are the most important people in the world to me. It's like, there's Mm -hmm. no fear that I'm, you know, again, going back to the Holmes and Watson drama, (laughs) I was like, I wonder why this is resonating so hard. Ooh, (laughs) Um, you know, we're, we're at the age where a lot of people are getting married. And I kind of like that all, all the friendships we've curated are just kind of like, yeah, now I have a friend. And another friend in this person's spouse. And I don't need to feel weird or constrained within the limits of like, well, yeah, you know, you're all friends. But like your spouse means you don't really need those friends anymore. Like that's never true, but it is a weirdly pervasive social thing. And I think just by sort of being very upfront about like, hey, you guys are the most important people I'm likely to ever have in my life is like, yeah, cool. Um, And uh yeah, it's 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 really nice to just be able to be very chill and have a lot of people who I care about, uh, <laughs> whatever that means for me. Hell yeah. Uh, well, this next question comes from pom- Pomegranate Relative. Two red. I noticed in the Hallgrimskirkja. Hallgrimskirkja. Hallgrimskirkja video that <laughs> you are. double L is a pain in the ass. That you were still wearing a tank top, even in Icelandic <laughs> weather. Theoretically... Uh-huh. How cold would it have to be before you consider wearing long sleeves? Okay, you guys have to understand, I had a coat on when I was outside, and the coat had sleeves. But we were going to a place that was inside, so it made sense for me to layer under the coat with sleeves, something without sleeves, so I would not overheat when we were indoors in the places that are warmed with geothermal volcano energy. I'm just saying (laughs) it was tactical, and it made sense. Um... But uh, yeah, when it's inside, anything goes. <laughs> the funny thing is, I thought Iceland was going to be my hard limit. I brought, I had like thermals with me, uh, and I have so I got thermal leggings and I got like a thermal turtleneck, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. This is solid. I didn't wear it once. I wore the thermal leggings; those were great. I just didn't feel the need. Yeah, I don't uh, know how you're doing that. I was layering up. I had my thermals <laughs> underneath, sweaters on top. We were Admittedly, the one day I wore the thermal leggings, I was significantly less cold in the leg department than the other mm. days when I was wearing <laughs> jeans. Uh, so lesson learned for next time. I don't know, if I was probably going actually to the North Pole, my bottom layer would probably still have sleeves. This but is... I think it's always helpful to have an undershirt that doesn't have sleeves. This is extremely tangentially related, but you did mention the North Pole, so I feel the need to bring it up. Uh, my younger Ooh. brother works on, uh, he's going to school for marine operations. He's working on shipping vessels. And last Ooh. year on the summer, he the ship he was on went and crossed the Arctic Circle. And did you know that when <laughs> someone crosses the Arctic Circle, someone else on board uh, takes on the mantle of Boreas Rex, King of the North, and they go through an initiation to be recognized by Boreas Rex, King of the North. 
Actually, I think you told me this before. Yeah, and he has a little, like, it looks like a Costco card that says, in, like, ye old language, recognized by Boreas Rex. Th- this sailor has been recognized by Boreas Rex, King of the North, and it's got a whole thing. But it is, it does look wow. like it's like a t- Costco card. I just thought that was funny. I, it, it's, That's so We funny. were talking about the cold, so it's it, it auto-filled in my mind. Yeah. But, man, Who every day Boreas I think Rex? about that. Who, how do you get to be Boreas Rex? Because it's got to be someone I who I think know. previously cu- crossed the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Um, which is, there's not usually a lot of people on any given crew who have done that previously. But still, like, to be the one. <laughs> King of the North. I. This is not turning up any solid results. It felt a little bit, because the only reason I know about it is we were at, uh, like, a family party, and the card showed up, and all of us were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we can't just gloss over this Boreas Rex nonsense. So it does feel a little bit like it's one of those, like, old sailors traditions that maybe isn't going to turn up too many Google results. That's but. so <laughs> cool, funny. though. I, I, my envy is a measure of that. <laughs> just sail over the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Next summer, maybe. Another place for you to test out your... Um, sleeveless yeah. energy the coat has sleeves this is a sensible thing to do <laughs> uh but we've got time for one more question here before we close it out today oh. and have you guys seen across the spider-verse because i have and it slaps no i have yet. not yet okay but well this one does not require good. any spoilers but okay. uh wolfheart wants to know what would your spider sonas be so if you were a spider-man <laughs> or a spider-woman or spider-other what would what would it be who Describe your spider person to us. Give us a little overview. Huh. This is interesting. Um, this was going around a bit when the first Spider-Verse movie came out, and then it's kind of had a revival the last, like, two weeks, uh, which I'm yeah, yeah, extremely I, happy I about. It's I love this first movie. it was like, there are six Spider-Mans, and now there's, like, a thousand. Oh, <laughs> people were making Spider-Sonas back when into the Spider-Verse. Or, yeah. But, yeah. like, like in the film itself. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I... I always run into this weird situation uh, whenever I, because I love seeing other people's sonas for stuff, but I've never really had the urge to make one exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because every time I see one, they are so thoroughly the main character. Like they look <laughs> so different from everything else. They don't look like they'd like, f- like you'd see them in a crowd shot. It's like having the anime character with bright blue hair in the room <laughs> full of brunettes. And it's like, all right, I found the main guy. Uh, and then you put you imagine like having three of those in a room together and it's like I just can't that mm, like <laughs> Spider-Verse made that work somehow uh, and across the Spider-Verse made that work too be- because everyone sort of fits into the same design aesthetic uh, mm-hmm. but I think part of the reason why I never figured out how to make a Sona is because you simultaneously want to make it of you and also something that would theoretically fit into the actual aesthetic of the Spider-Verse and yeah, those often don't line up very well no um but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've thought about this a little bit, and I do think ooh. that there is sort of a natural one-to-one between Peter Parker taking photos for a newspaper and a podcaster doing some sort of hmm. guerrilla podcasting. <laughs> so I think um, I think I would want to lean into that a bit and sort of go for like kind of a not quite Deadpool-esque, but like someone who's running around just sort of enjoying the universe and trying to interview the villains to get those sound bites for the show while like in the same way that Peter Parker would tape a cam like web a camera somewhere to get a photo of spider-man like yeah. i'm getting the yeah. sound bites from the villain for an interview um and just sort of lean into that a little bit but i do I like that probably like like wind the clock back on spider-man noir and be like a kind of victorian <laughs> era like the first skyscrapers are starting to show up or not skyscrapers Ooh. but like like the first you don't well, want to yeah no 1800s you don't want to so be like, venice's like... one and only spider-man <laughs> <laughs> nah, not not tall enough for Venice. Um, I'd I'd fall into the canal yeah. uh, and drown. Um, <laughs> I would swim. waterboard myself with the Spider-Man mask, <laughs> splatted like yeah. <laughs> face down um, in the canal. But like some kind of like 1800s like Victorian ass looking Spider-Man <laughs> would be pretty fun. I don't know what it would end up looking like, but that is hat. the the only yeah. historical kind of like Spider-Man application <laughs> that I feel like makes sense. Any ancient city could not sustain a Spider-Man. The, the buildings are way too short. You really need the verticality to make it work. Spider-Man in a waistcoat and tails would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Especially I if think, you make but, the like waistcoat part of the uniform in a way, like part of the costume, so it is just sort of the tails as an extension of the spandex. If but that okay, makes sense. here's the thing. I, as someone who's designed a couple steampunk superheroes in my day, I think you can't have the full Spider-Man like morph suit look. I think you need like the bandana mask and goggles oh, and then, like yeah. a hat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
yeah. and bandana goggles hat. Yeah. And you can have the goggles still have like the Spider-Man eye shape. Exactly. But yeah. they it wouldn't be a full mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like oh. the aesthetic of that Jessica Drew has in this movie of the like goggles that are the same shape as the eye holes in the mask. Like I want that on mine. I'm mean, like that shit rocks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want a long coat. If I have to be a Spider-Man, I want I want a trench coat that's long. Nice. <laughs> like Spider-Man noir, but different. Where you um, go, the wind follows, as it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the thing is, I, as a person, don't enjoy leggings, so the pants would need to be different. I'll accept mm. kind of like like Renfair pirate like boots and kind of poofy pants that's 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 the that's the only compromise I'm willing to accept <laughs> I just don't like leggings um but yeah it hadn't occurred to me that you could put the spider sona in a setting other than your own yeah that opens up some interesting possibilities you can go I across think... the spider verse as it were oh Boo. there it is don't look at that right. um, <laughs> I think oh what aesthetic could really use a spider man I think one of them classic, like, sort of ghost-in-the-shell cyberpunk future dystopias yeah. where the skyscrapers are tall and the cost of living is steeper. That Johnny that Mike. place needs a Spider-Man. Uh, and it's kind of got the same appeal as steampunk, but uh, in the same, like, you're just a little fish in a big pond and the pond um, doesn't like you very much. <laughs> okay, coffee's happening after we're done here. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I think I think some kind of cyberpunk Spider-Man would be Ooh. awesome. Then the trench coat get a fits. lot of really cool like yeah. LEDs running through the. Oh like, yeah, you absolutely need. You could the outline LED the eyes lines. on the mask with like light. Yep. Yeah, I, I. You know what I've just recreated? Batman Beyond again. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that's my answer. <laughs> Spider-Man Beyond. Um, Every yeah. biological being evolves into a crab. Every superhero evolves into Batman Beyond. <laughs> Batman Beyond is already what if Batman was Spider-Man, and I just re-derived that from first principles. So do your, you're all welcome. Do your spider sonas have like a spider, like a name, like Spider Noir instead of Spider-Man, or like et cetera, et cetera? I feel like Spider-Man Noir is still Spider-Man. They just have to call him something to distinguish him from the other Spider-Mans. That's basically what I'm asking. Do you have something that distinguishes your, your name-wise? If it's like, if we're going with Victorian specifically and I'm like swinging around London, it'd have to be like Spider-Mate or something stupid and British like that. <laughs> Spider-Mate. Spider-Chum. That would be, that's Australian Spider Spider-Man. Bloke. <laughs> These are more Australian. <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man Steam. Uh, I got Spider-Man Beyond, obviously. (laughs) I'm a hack. We've already established this. (laughs) Mm. Oh, no. Uh, Audio is... Oh, you know, um, Sonic Spider. That's sound wave related. That feels not too far off. I like it. Yeah. Well, we're back to our regular universe where... Fan art on desk by Monday. Yes, of course. Or it could be like the webcaster because it's like, <gasps> yes, it, it works either way. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> uh, we're just heading time for the show. So if you're willing to come back over here to our universe, Red, I think we are about ready for um, the outro, perhaps. I feel like there is the slight problem that if your sp- spider sona has like a really distinctive voice podcast <laughs> presence, <laughs> You're gonna run into a situation where you're just like walking down the street on the phone, and someone's gonna be like, "Holy shit, the webcaster!" Oh, it's just some girl. <laughs> and like ten minutes later, is like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> no one would be like, "You should do impressions." <laughs> yeah, you're really good. It's like I just got one of them voices. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> I always find that incredibly charming when they do. They did this a couple times in Across the Spider Verse, where a character will change their voice a little bit when they're talking to someone who would know them. So that like Miles <laughs> making his voice a little bit deeper, or Gwen putting on like a bit of a, a lilt to her voice when she's talking to her dad. I'm like, yeah, that's that's how I would deal with that too. I think it would just be <laughs> I'm going to use my radio voice the entire time, and therefore no one will ever recognize. <laughs> There's absolutely no way it would work on anybody I know. No, not, not even a little bit. <laughs> but no. I can dream. <laughs> oh, God. That was, you know what? That was the only good thing about the Green Lantern uh, live action movie is that Carol Ferris sees through Green Lantern's identity immediately. And she's like, I've known you since we were kids. Are you kidding me? You're not even wearing a big, like a face concealing mask. And he's like, oh, uh, Huh. <laughs> Only good part of that movie. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. As always, we'll be back in two episodes with another fun installment of the OzPod, as we colloquially qual- call it. Uh, ch- check out w- World Anvil. 
Yeah. Uh, and if you're coming to VidCon, uh, we're already here. So yeah. say hi. You see us say, say hi. Say yeah. hi. <laughs> uh, I don't think we have anything else. So until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And to clarify, we don't have any panels or anything. They didn't want us. We're just going to be there. <laughs> we're just hanging out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on July 5th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to AskOSPod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below. And if you see us at VidCon... Be sure to say hi.